Independent wrestling is pretty damn fucking cool. We're sitting down in the spotlight and squirt circle with Rhino. We're trying to bring more awareness to the independent professional wrestling scene. Undoubtedly thankful for anybody that just decided to tune in and actually liked us enough to keep listening. Ross Family Podcast. Ross Family, like the TV show Family Matters. Yeah. With the Ross in front of it and then Podcast. So a podcast with an R. Yeah. Because we use the Family Matters theme. Yes. Because this fucking asshole wants to shoot a video where so we're. So you know we're the Ross family, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we got. So then you had to show Family Matters, so Ross Family Matters. And I had this idea where we would take the opening to the show Family Matters right. and put our heads on the people, like in the open. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. On the newspaper page And love and tradition Of the grand design Some people say It's even harder to find Well then there must be Some magic clue Inside these gentle Welcome once again To the Ross Family Matters podcast We have a very special guest I'm Hotshot Scott Williams With Jack Spade and Vic the Stick Ross You guys aren't my special guests Because you're here every week you too Hey but our very special guest joining us, and I don't think I think we've peaked at this point. I think we can probably retire yep, the podcast after this. Ring of Honor TV champ, the last real man in professional wrestling, Silas Young. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. So we're going to do something a little different. We're not just going to delve into the hat. We will, but we're going to spend a little bit of time finding out um, a little bit more in depth the career. And, and we've known you for years. I mean, since you moved down here. And I started working out with Armani. We'll probably have an Armani story that we'd like you to share at some point. But uh, can you just tell our listeners uh, what made you decide that pro wrestling was a path you wanted to take? Uh, as a young guy, I, uh, you know, I was kind of not really doing anything with my life. I was living up in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is pretty uh, middle class, about as middle class uh, white people area that you can grow up in. It's you know actually been voted. You know, number one city to raise a family in America or whatever several times uh, when I was younger and I imagine still to this day uh, so at the time I was you know I wasn't really doing anything with my life I was selling drugs um, I had a buddy who trained to wrestle out of high school and he uh, he came by where I was living at the time and he, he sold me a ticket to one of his shows to his first show he was gonna have and I was real excited about it so the day of the show came uh, like I said, I was, I was selling drugs at the time, and out of, out of whim, I just decided I was going to go open up a bank account, and I, I had, you know, about $5,000 at my house that day, and I went and opened a bank account, and I went to my buddy's show, and uh, as I was sitting there watching him, I was like, man, like, this is this is something you've really always loved, like, look at your buddy Tom, he's in there right now, and he's, he's doing pretty good, and, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, you're way more athletic than Tom, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is something you should do with your life, you know, it's kind of felt like I had like an epiphany like you know what this is what I'm gonna do with my life so I kind of had that feeling and then I got home from the show that night and someone had kicked in my door and stole my safe from me and I was kind of sitting there that night and I was thinking I was like wow man like you ever been looking for a, a signal that maybe you should do something with your life maybe this is it like you know just on a whim that day I got this idea to go open the bank account and put all my money in it then someone kicks in my door and steals my safe which is where all the money was in right. and then I had this epiphany there and I kind of thought you know what fuck it man that's what i'm gonna do so i kind of cleaned my shit up after that and like within a few months i was i was working out and uh like that was like in july of 2000 i think when that happened by like that like october november i had started working out and stuff uh and then that's that spring of 2001 is when i started to train to wrestle so kind of i don't know it was kind of a weird weird way i got into it but you know it's been, been like when i had that feeling like this is what i need to do it's been like ever since. So did you start training up in, in the Appleton Green Bay area first? Yeah, so uh, so you know, I was always kind of an indie wrestling fan, so after I went and seen that first show, you know, I really got the bug in me. Um, I started noticing there was ACW up there at the time and they, they had TV and I, I started going to some of the ACW shows and I, that's where I wanted to go train and I had actually done like a, a, a fantasy camp thing there 
And then they said, you know, if you're interested, just call the dojo. So I, I called the number for the dojo, and I called, and I left messages and messages, and no one got back to me at all. And then uh, I ran into my buddy Tom again just by coincidence, and I told him, like, hey, man, I want to train to be a wrestler. And he said, well, there's this guy, Chris Bassett. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar. I'm sure we all know who Chris know Bassett is. Not by, uh, not well, by that. But, what did he work as? He, he worked as the Cobra. No. I, I mean, Scott Scott knows him, but, yeah, I mean, you're not missing nothing, believe okay. me. Okay, all right. Uh, but uh, so... He told me, you know, Chris Bassett training, so I went and I, I started there. And uh, when I started, we didn't, they didn't even have a ring. They had this platform thing in the garage, so we learned to bump on a, this platform thing. It was actually, to his credit, it was actually pretty nice, a nice bumping platform. So, uh, you know, I kind of started my training with Bassett, and I had trained there for about a year, and I, did, I had gotten to do, like, a handful of matches. And then, uh, like, in one of my, like, maybe my second match for him, I went to do like a moonsault off a guardrail onto a guy, and instead of the guy like catching me and following me down, I just hit him and he just stood there. So I was going down head first. Oh, oh man! And so I put out my arm to like, so I didn't land on my head, and I dislocated my elbow, and I ended up having to have surgery on. It. And that was actually the first match my mom ever came and seen me at, and she had to give me a ride to the hospital, which was a half hour away there, which I ended up having to have emergency surgery on it. Did you get hollered at the whole thirty minutes? No, or? she she was pretty nice about it. She okay. was pretty cool. I think she was more concerned, but uh. Then when I was hurt, I was kind of thinking, I was like, man, like, I don't know what the right way to do things is, but the way I'm learning them isn't the right way. I don't feel like these guys can show me the right way. And I'd always had that thought in the back of my mind was like, I really wanted to train with ACW originally because I felt like, you know, they could teach me better. And by that time, I had met a few people through wrestling, so I was able to get a hold of Mike Mercury up in Green Bay. So then after... My after my surgery and a few months and healing and stuff like that, I went I went up there and you know paid him a little bit of money and he basically finished off my training. So I always say like Chris Bassett trained me to you know how to take bumps and lock up and grab headlocks and arm bars and stuff like that. But Mike Mercury is really who kind of taught me how to put everything together and how to how to wrestle so to speak. And probably cleaned up what you learned originally, right? Oh yeah, I mean the I'll tell you that the Bassets they're just weird people, man. Like. Like, uh, like the guy he did, the Chris does a, a Cobra gimmick, right? So in their house they have like one of those styrofoam heads and they would keep the mask on it all the time. One time Chris was gone and they, they had a kid that trained too. He was about my age. Uh, and he was like goofing around and put the mask on and the mom got real hot and was like, you don't disrespect the Cobra mask like that. <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking, whoa, these people are fucking bizarre, man. Like, oh, I dig that. That's yeah. great. So they were, just, they were just a real weird people and they like, so he was like married, and he like his wife was there all the time. But then he also had this girl that he trained, Lisa, and like it was really obvious that like Bassett was fucking this Lisa girl, and it was like it, it, doing stuff that was like not appropriate to do with other women when your wife is standing right, right there. And it's almost like more disrespectful because you have all these other people that are watching and around her, like. We all know what's going on here, but no one's talking just, about it. You everybody's know? staring straight ahead. Yeah, it's just it was a weird experience, but you know, very appropriate for pro wrestling. I'd say. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I uh, I can't recall the first time I, I met you, but I know first time I really remember hearing about you was when I was first breaking in and traveling up, and ACW and NWA Wisconsin was okay. the thing then. Right. So you had some good matches there. I remember you worked AJ Styles. Right. At one point on a show uh the one i wanted to talk to you about though is the first show i actually remember um like really like paying attention to you okay uh i don't know if you'll remember this at all i don't even remember exactly what hall it was in but basically the main event was a tag match and i want to say it was uh winchester and vato versus two other guys okay and they did the spot where winchester go what gets thrown into the chairs. Okay. And like like on the outside, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, he, and then Jason Jerry came out and stopped the whole show. Just dead. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. Ended the full main event. So... Because he, like, he was pissed off, right? Yeah, That's because why. he was worried about the damage to the building or whatever. Right. So he stopped the whole show, told the crowd the show is done, everybody get the fuck out. Right. The like, most unprofessional thing you can do, basically. Yes. And, uh... The reason I remember you specifically is because you ended up saving that show from being almost a full-scale riot. Yeah, I, I remember, was that where we came out and just did like an impromptu eight-man or something like that? Or yeah, I think it was a tag. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I do remember that. That was, that was quite the experience. That was one of, 
several Jason Jerry meltdowns and him trying to <laughs> just shut down the shows. I remember he was a little wild in those days. He had a cape. Why didn't he just use that for his tears? I mean, <laughs> instead of sending everybody home. I never understood the cape thing. Yeah, I still don't understand the cape thing. So, the first time I met you, and this kind of leads into you coming down to Milwaukee, was through Angel Armand. Right. I was running some shows, and with mixed success, I mean, we tried really hard to do some things, and the I think... Rebels of Wrestling. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, when you look back at that time, you know, for all the weird stuff we had, we had, you know, Jared and, and Kurt for a while, and you, and so we had some, like, legitimate people who actually ended up becoming legit, uh, Matt Winchester. Right. But how did you meet... Armani, and how did that kind of work up? Because it seemed like, as you, when you came down here, that kind of took it to another level. Now, as you continue to, to evolve into who right. you are today. So when I when I started training um, with Bassett, there was a guy there named Loudon Payne. Oh, I know you guys know Loudon Payne. Yes. He's, he's a Milwaukee guy, so he was buddies with Tom. So I started, you know, hanging out with Loudon Payne right away because when I got into wrestling. Uh, you know, I was really under the impression of like, hey, this is this is what I want to do with my life. Like, I was a young guy, you know, I obviously had dreams of, you know, trying to go to Japan or wrestle for WWE, but I also realized, like, those dreams were pretty, pretty big dreams, and it would, it, you know, I was at step one, and that was like maybe step 30 or 50 or whatever, sure. and then I had these, these smaller steps to take, so I always... You know, knew right away that when I started wrestling, I didn't want to just wrestle for one place. I wanted to get out. I wanted to wrestle everywhere I could. I wanted to. I wanted to travel as much as possible because I felt like that's the way that you have to do this. Um, so I'd met Loudon Payne, and through Loudon Payne, he knew Armani. So I had met Armani through him, and I mean, you guys know with Armani, he basically any young guy that loves wrestling, Mike's more than happy to work with. So he's gonna give you a shot. He's going to yell at your fucking ass. <laughs> but he'll take you places, too. Exactly. Like, right. Travel with yeah, him. Absolutely. So that's that's how I met Armani, was through, uh, was through loud and pain then. So now you're evolving, and you're getting better and better and better. At what point, and this is, I'm always interested to hear this when I talk to people who have made it, right? At what point did the light go on and you go, you know what? I, I really think that I've got this figured out. Like, I really think this is going to become what I've dreamt of. Because I know in the early... You know, the early goings, when you're, when you're still learning, you're like, boy, I don't know if I'll ever get there. When did that light switch go on for you? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, those first couple of years when I was coming down here and I was working with Armani a lot, there was a, a good year and a half, maybe two years, where me and him were getting booked all over the place and we were working each other specifically. So, like, there was sure. a good amount, where, like, I mean, in one year where we probably worked each other 30, 40 times or something like that. I think it was during those times because we had some... I mean, Armani was, like, probably 50 at the time, and we were going out there and having, like, 40, 50, 60-minute matches and having some really, really good matches. I felt like, you know, that, that was a time that I was really, really growing and, and really built built some confidence for me. Uh, I think it was around that time when I felt like, yeah, you know, maybe this is something I can do, and that's where I really, you know, kicked it into overdrive, and I was just sending out, you know, VHS tapes at the time to any promoter to just try and get, try and get booked. And I think, you know... When I started, when I started picking up bookings from off of recommendations from other guys, I think that's when I felt like, you know, this is where I'm starting to, to pick it up. When you're starting to get, you know, the respect of your peers, so to speak. Thirty or forty matches with our mind. What's that like? Twenty bumps. <laughs> twenty <laughs> bumps for him. Yeah. 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 No, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> so now, as you're you're starting to get more exposure, you know, you're starting to travel to different parts of the country now too. You know, throughout the Midwest, I'm sure. Um, so when did some of the, the bigger indie promotions start looking at you, and, and what was the first first place you got to work outside of this general area where you're like, holy shit, this is great. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm making it. Uh, so, so there was AAW in Chicago, which, I mean, I started off with them, and really over the years they've just grown and grown to where, I mean, now they're, you know, arguably one of the biggest independents in the country. I mean, maybe even bigger than, like, PWG. You know, they're running really consistently. They're using a lot of the same guys. They're getting a lot of uh, a lot of recognition. They have their own uh, on-demand thing. It was also at that time too that Gabe Sapolsky was still the Booker for Ring of Honor that I got contacted about coming in and doing uh, doing a dark match for him. So that I mean that was a time where I felt like things were really starting to blow up. And then I had done a, a you know a couple of dark matches, and then I had done this trial thing with WWE, and I had actually got offered a developmental contract went through all the hiring process and everything like that and then I saw one day during that process that they had uh, shut down their like they 
got rid of their contract with OVW for developmental, like basically just you know quit having OVW be a developmental. And I was like, oh shit, that's not good. That's that's where I'm supposed to be moving to. And then I got a call the next day and said, hey, sorry, we're not putting your contract through. So that, that was kind of a, a kick in the balls, but it was also something like, all right, man, like you know what you're doing, like you you know you you're you're getting here to wrestle for a place like Ring of Honor. You're doing things like AAW now, you know. You went and you did this tryout, and you impressed enough to get offered a job. Granted, it all fell through and it didn't work out, but I felt like those were all like, you know, confidence builders. Like you, what you're doing is right, and you're going down the right path. So just keep doing that. Sure, it fell through, but it didn't fell fall through because your your work lacked, or no. it fell through because of a change of plans. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it was still. I mean, honestly, it was still a real kick in the balls, and it really, for a long time, it had me down in the dumps. You know, uh, kind of resorted to doing drugs for a little bit and then finally just kind of stopped feeling sorry for myself and clean my shit up you know there's there's a lot of times in wrestling like I've been wrestling for almost 16 years there's a lot of times for guys you know after 10 years or something like that they start to get burnt out a little bit I mean I was a little burnt out and bummed out but I never stopped wrestling you know that's something that's always been very consistent in my life what I like too about your growth in, in Ring of Honor what I like in general about how Ring of Honor brings people along at a at the right pace, they don't rush people through. Right. So I remember watching the early match. And I'm like, man, when is he? You know, getting impatient for you. Like, when is he going to get the shot that he deserves? And then they, you know, the, the new gimmick and then teaming with 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 Winchester. And I'm like, okay, I see the path now. Right. Th is that when you started feeling like you were on the right path, even with Ring of Honor? Yeah, I actually wanted to talk to you about your gimmick because I don't know when you met my dad. But somehow you've made your career out of becoming my dad as a pro wrestler. <laughs> that, that's my dad, too, man. <laughs> that, that's all that's based off of. That. That's my father to a T. I feel like that's a lot of guys our age is dad, you know? Like, yeah. And then that's the whole idea behind it is, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure you've had this before, stuff that guys do a day, nowadays your dad would probably just look at him and shake his head and be like, what the fuck are these guys doing? You oh, know? yeah. Oh, doubt. Yeah, so that's, Every day. that's basically, that's the last real man is just... You know, men men doing shit nowadays that our fathers or our grandfathers would just look at and just think, what a bunch of fucking idiots. Seriously, I can hear my dad right now. What are you looking at that phone for? Everybody you know is here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> so now you're, you're, you're starting to take off there. You're traveling the country for Ring of Honor, and then you get to start traveling the world. That that has to be like like the pinnacle for, for a professional wrestler. Yeah, absolutely. My first... Uh, my first stuff out of the country was in Canada. Like I'd went up and done some stuff. Like Ring of Honor does Toronto a couple times a year, so that was that was my first time. But then there was a guy, Danny Duggan, up uh, in like yeah. central and western Canada. And he runs these awesome tours, which I mean, for young guys, it's such a great opportunity. I did one back in August, and we did. I was up there. Our first show was July 31st, and we did shows July 31st, August 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, and the 16th. They also they actually had shows that were going until the 21st every single day. We started out Winnipeg, went all the way across Canada, out to British Columbia, and then all the way back wow. doing shows every day. Uh, I mean, at, at that time, so my first time up there, uh, I, was, I was doing the shows, and I was pretty pumped, and I got an email from uh, WXW in Germany and they had had someone had gotten hurt or something and they have what's called the 16 karat tournament every year. And this Is that in the tent? What was that? Is it in a tent? No, it's not in a tent. They, okay. they, they might have done it in a tent before though, possibly. But uh, I know there's a lot of tent shows that happen in Germany, yep. though, some big tournaments. Uh, so I got an email about that and that was like, uh, that was just a few weeks before the show was actually going to happen. So I, you know, they asked me to do it, which also coincidentally fell on my wife's birthday. No. So, but I was like, uh, maybe my wife's birthday, but you know, I've been wrestling forever, and this is what I've been wrestling for, so I can have these opportunities like that. So, me, without talking to my wife first, agreed to it. <laughs> said, yeah, I'll absolutely be there. And then, you know, I talked to my wife afterwards, and she wasn't too happy, but you know, I smoothed things over. And it was fine, so that was my, my first opportunity to really travel abroad was to go to Germany. Oh no, and I'm sorry, that's not right. Actually, I went to I went to England before that, like in uh, like the the November before that. Like that was uh, that tournament was like in March. So I got contacted like maybe mid February about it, and then uh, but that uh, that November before I went over to England. But that was like this guy that runs these shows, and it was like a, kind of in conjunction with Ring of Honor. So I got it kind of set up like that. So we went over for a few days, and then the Germany thing happened, 
and then uh, and then things have just been good. You know, I've, I've gotten to do a little bit of traveling every year out of the country. I've gotten to go back up to Canada and do those tours for Danny Duggan, which I really enjoy doing the tours. It's a lot of fun. It's very like very old school. Uh, you're, you're in all these small towns where the people just really appreciate wrestling, and you know, they Canada's weird. Like you know, in the United States. They don't, wrestling's not super respected, you know, it's almost like a, a guilty pleasure to admit sure. that you watch it. But up there, people, you know, they kind of respect it. Or like in Japan, I mean, Japan, they really, really respect right. it. I, the, my first time being in Japan and like meeting the fans afterwards like that, I mean, they really make you feel like you're a superstar. Or you feel like you're just in a, a completely different world. I had heard you literally sold clothes off your back in Japan. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. People just wanted to buy your clothes right <laughs> off you. Yeah, they... Uh, so the Corican Hall, which is a big, you know, a big wrestling building or whatever in Japan, that's like, so there's like, there's like the Tokyo Dome, and then Corican Hall is like literally connected right to the Tokyo Dome, and then there's the Tokyo Dome Hotel, which is right next door. So you're talking like, you know, you walk through the Tokyo Dome Hotel, and then you go out the door, and you walk, and you're maybe like a, about one city block, and you're right at the Corican Hall. But literally when you come out, you're at Corican Hall, but to get to the back door, it's about a block walk, right? Sure. So before the show got done... Uh, Delirious said to me, he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to get out of here before the show's over. Otherwise, it's going to take like an hour to get back to your room. And I was kind of thinking like, oh, yeah, that's kind of an exaggeration. But I wasn't kidding. I waited till after the show and left. And to get back to my room, it took me an hour and 20 minutes. Because people were, they wanted to stop. They wanted to take pictures with you. They wanted to buy autographs. They wanted to buy, they wanted to buy shirts. I had one of my shirts. And I was like, oh, so I got left. So I just took it off and sold my shirt off my back. I can't believe you didn't want money. Like you say, like, I'm gonna go back to the room and lay down. <laughs> You're leaving money on the yeah, table, man. Yeah, and uh, I they, they also there like, you know, here in the states, you you can get your picture taken with like a, a guy in his gear, you know, because chances are you're gonna see him in their gear. Well, that, like that doesn't happen in Japan. So what fans will do is they'll pay you money to go to your hotel room, have you put your gear on, and then come in your room and take pictures of you and your gear. It sounds Not in real, front of them, right? It sounds, it sounds real weird. <laughs> it, it sounds incredibly weird. But, some, like, I remember someone asking me about it, and, and I had asked one of the guys, like, oh, no, like, that's normal. Like, they don't get to do this. Like, but they're like, but charge them. Charge them, like, 100 bucks. So I had, like, a couple people do, do it, and I charged each one of them $100 to come in and take pictures for 10 minutes. So You have to, right? I yeah, mean, what the hell? So it's just weird. They... They really appreciate and respect wrestling there. How many times have you been in Japan? Just once. Okay. Did you get a sponsor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We went out for sponsor dinners. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Japan, I, I can only imagine, and it's one of the places on my bucket list uh, I'd like to go, but because I'd love to visit there. I don't. I know I could never live there because I'm not a tiny guy, <laughs> and I know their quarters can be very, very small. You're shitting in the tub. Yeah, right. But from a culture standpoint, I mean, obviously, Great Britain is. Close to America and Germany's Germany, but Japan has to be just a complete different culture all the way around. Oh, it totally is. Like, uh, like for instance, like you know, around here, people walk around and they smoke outside. Like, people don't really do that. They have these like little areas that'll be sectioned off in public for you to go smoke because people don't do that. They don't walk around eating food. Like, I also noticed there too. Like, there isn't a bunch of litter and stuff around, but there also isn't a bunch of garbage cans either. But yet, it's still remain being a very clean place it's just sure i know it's definitely it's definitely just a different world you know uh armani told us a story one time about getting on like the subway okay and it had been raining and there's like a a thing to put your your um umbrella umbrella in okay. because it's disrespectful to allow your umbrella to drip water on the floor oh wow yeah i believe that I so believe that. yeah they're very uh very like uh, I don't know if I'd say they're very kind, but they're just very respectful people. You know, they don't believe in like we'll, we'll, as Americans, we kind of always have a like a fuck that attitude. You know, like this is what I want to do. They're more like conscious of everybody, I guess. Obviously, you've been to Cleveland. <laughs> I've been to Cleveland. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We just we just came back from there. You guys went there for the, the Packer game. Yeah, did, yeah. yeah. yeah real nice people. There, yeah, everybody there has the fuck that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to get back into the wrestling, but you made a, you, you mentioned something about the tour in Germany and it being your wife's birthday. But I wanted to talk to you because one of the things that I admire about you, in addition to the fact that you're living your dream, is you know the the great family life you have, and your son is just an amazing kid. How do you balance that? I mean, with some of the tours, but then you're home enough that I mean, how's that that work life balance for you? Uh, I think I'm. I think uh, you know, working for Ring of Honor, it's a pretty light schedule actually. You know, guys that work for WWE. They're gone like five and a half days out of the week, so they only they only get to be home, 
maybe one or one and a half days. Like, for instance, myself in January, we only have one show. We have a TV taping in, like, January 20th. So I literally had my last match for the year last weekend, so I won't wrestle for over a month now. Wow. So, I mean, if I want to do other stuff internationally, I, can. I can't do anything in the States, but I can do stuff in Canada or any other countries. And I, I get a little bit of bookings uh, outside of the country, but not a whole lot of them. So, I mean, I just, I have a lot of time at home, and, you know, it helps with, with my wife, you know, being having her brother be a wrestler. She kind of gets it, and mm-hmm. her being a big fan herself, she gets it. So I think it's, I think the schedule's p- pretty light, and I just... I'm not, I'm not the type of guy I don't really go out and party much or like go out to bars. Like I, I like spending time with my family, so you know I try and when I'm when I'm not off wrestling doing that, I try to be home with my family or we like go on little trips and stuff like that. So I just try and try and keep the balance. And then you know when I'm gone, I'm gone. Like I said in August, I was basically gone from July 31st, and then I, I wrestled up in Canada till the 16th of August, and then I flew right from there to. England and we did two shows in England then a show in Scotland I didn't get home until like the 23rd so I was gone for you know three and a half weeks but when I get back then I just make sure to you know make time for the family and stuff like that and I you know I purposely don't try and book myself where I'm just ridiculously busy all the time and I've seen some of the trips you guys get to take so that's that's got to be cool I would like if I were growing up I'd be like wow this is cool we get to go to Disney, we get to go to San Antonio. Like you, you've gone to some really cool places with your friends, right, which right. is really cool. Yeah, true or false? I've always had the sneaking suspicion that you named your kid after me. <laughs> no, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> false. So uh, you won the title on Saturday, was it? Friday. 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 Yep. Okay, you had another show Saturday. Correct. Home at some point on Sunday, right? Yep. And today was Wednesday. Yeah. How many jobs have you done for Jack for the TV title since then? <laughs> a couple. He did. He did uh, grab the title as soon as I got home and said, "I'm going to fight you for this old man." <laughs> so yeah, he, he's he's more pumped about it than anybody, I think. So other than Jack, if you think back to all of the opponents you've ever been in the ring with, who's your favorite? I mean, because you've, you've worked some guys locally that that you've really had a chemistry with, obviously on an international level. Is there one that stands out that you could say is that you've had the best matches or the best memories with? Um, I mean, I, there's some local guys that I've had really good matches with that I've always enjoyed. Like, I always liked working with Jason Dukes. Um, yeah, there's a few other guys. Just a lot, I felt like a lot of the guys around here are really good. But as far as, like, the one guy that I've been in the ring with that, like, I think is really good and just is really smooth, I think it's Jay Lethal. Like, I think... Uh, Jay doesn't maybe get as much credit as he should. He's very, very good at what he does. He's very professional. He's got a great mind for the business. Like I, I, he's probably my favorite opponent to work with. Even though it's five years on, people still kind of think of Jay Lethal as that comedy figure from TNA. Right. You know, doing the impressions. Right. But he is very good, very crisp. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the best match I ever seen you have locally was for an Armani show, and it was against Juice Robinson. Okay, yeah, Juice was, is really good, too. You guys probably went... 25, 30 minutes. It was real good. Yeah, real yeah. good stuff. Good one with Rough Crossing there, too. Yeah, Rough's, always, Rough's another guy who's always been really, really good. I've always enjoyed working with him. What's the uh, what's the worst match you ever been in? Don't do that to me. I'm sitting right worst the fuck match. here. Yeah, yeah it's a two-part question. All right. What's the, what's, the, what's the worst match you've ever had, and why is it with Jack Spade? Okay. So, actually, I got two of them. Uh, a very... Very first, maybe year or two, uh, Sam Hain, uh, really nice guy, um, but uh, Sam Hain was also trained by Chris Bassett. And he was a guy who really got got by with his gimmick. You yep. know, cool. he had this sweet gimmick, and he'd always come out with a really hot ass girl with him, and he'd have breathe the fire. I remember even like as a fan going like, "Yeah, this dude's pretty badass," sure. you know. And then he started wrestling, and uh, I remember we had we had talked beforehand. And I just I called a simple spot like like. Tackle, drop down, arm drag, arm drag, or something like that. And he totally fucked up the spot. And then there was some other stuff in the match that got really fucked up. And I was really, like, upset about it afterwards. And then I guess he had went and complained to Mike Mercury, like, oh, your boy's trying to call these complicated spots. And I remember telling Mike, like, dude, it's tackle, drop down, arm drag, arm drag. Like, that's, that's a pretty basic spot, especially for a guy who's been working for, like, 15 years, you know? So that, that was one of my worst... I remember at that time thinking, like, God, this man, this man. I remember even being in the match thinking, like, God, this sucks. And then things, like, progressively getting shittier and sh- shittier and shittier. Uh, you could tell that was in your first couple of years because if that was, like, with more Armani training, you would have just left. <laughs> and then after I got hurt, I came back and um, 
I had worked Seth. Seth up in Green Bay. Oh. What's his name? Seth Gambino. Gambino. Gambino, yeah. And he, I remember, like, that was one of my first matches after coming back, and he's just, uh, I don't know. It was just really fucking bad, man. There was just, it's like little things, like I went to, you know, like the thing where the heel bags off and you grab the guy by the tights and you sell in, like, I like did that to him and he literally like took a step forward and like hit his head on the top buckle. It was just, it was just the shits, man. And I remember coming back afterwards and him being like, oh, thank you, that was a lot of fun, that was really good. And I didn't want to be an asshole at the time, but I was sitting there thinking like, I'm glad you enjoyed it because I'm just fucking sitting here questioning whether I should be doing this as a living or not. I, I still, I, wow. I still hold him halfway responsible for my neck injury. Oh. What did he do? He pissed off Mitch Blake in a four-way. We were having a four corners tag match. Mm-hmm. Also not good. And uh, so he he pissed off Mitch Blake. So then tagged out to me, and he wasn't supposed to. Okay. So then Blake got pissed and was just lighting me up because he was pissed at Seth. And then went to pick me up, and we were supposed to go DDT. Right. But he decided to go suplex. And didn't say anything. Right. So then he got me halfway up and then just dropped me on my head. Oh, that, that sounds like Mitch. So, um, but I still have to lay half of that on Seth. Cause <laughs> Not a fan, brother. Yeah. Not a fan. I've, I've never been a fan of Mitch either, though. He's just, uh, I don't know, he's... He's a guy that likes to really play that, that like, oh, I'm the veteran role and, and be an asshole to younger guys when he's really just, honestly, he's just not that good anyways. You know what I mean? Well, we've had the pleasure. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we were in a few we, yeah. we had, like, a three-match run with those guys. Ooh. Uh, exactly. Psychotic Rage. Okay. Jimmy and Mitch. And Jimmy was always really cool. Jimmy's, cool. Yeah, Jimmy's way better than Mitch. But, you know, what was always funny is, like, Mitch Blake would be like, brother, my hand. I, I got a bruise on my hand. So just no, kind of broke that. Thing. Watch out for my hand. And then the fucking <laughs> fucking shit's going on, and then wham with the fucking hand. You're just chopping the shit out of guys. Yeah. Right? But then if you grab his hand too much, you'd be like, "Oh, brother, I told you." He's one of those guys. My, so. my best part of that night too was after he dropped me on my neck, and I couldn't feel the left side of my body for five minutes. And Jimmy said, "Hey, I think he's really hurt." He goes, "I don't give a fuck." <laughs> so I'm like, "All right, yeah, that's that's real. That's real assuring, huh?" Good shit. So. Um, before we get into the hat, one one last thing. You have to indulge us in your favorite Angel Armani story. Because, God, there's so many of them. And it doesn't have to be wrestling related. Because just traveling with him to Florida, for example, I've got a, a list of stories I can tell. So. And we all love the guy. Oh, yes. I'm trying to think, yeah. man. I'm trying to think. There, there's some good ones. Well, you think. Let me ask you this. Uh, you ever walk out on you? No, but I've seen him do it to people before. I'll tell you what, man. When I did my retirement tour, Eddie and TC booked myself and Lane against Scott and Armani. And the only thing I wanted was for Armani not to walk out, and he didn't walk out on us. And I I was like, I'm fucking fat. I got no business being in a match, but that motherfucker didn't walk out on me. And I can hang my hat on that because I've seen him walk out on so many people. To be fair, though, that's soft, Armani. I hear you, but I'll take what I can get. We have a theory that he's, like, way, way softer. He totally is. He's totally. I've even said to him before, like, what are you so nice to these fucking kids for when you're training them? Like, he used to just scream at us and everything. You know, now he's... Super nice to these kids. Where when I'm there training, I feel like I got to be the dickhead. Right. right. I I can remember like it was yesterday at camp where we did a show on a Saturday, and then Lane and I went to camp the next day, and he yelled for like an hour and twenty minutes, and then told everybody, "Fuck, just go home, (laughs) get out of here." All right, thanks. Glad I got up for this. Nice. And then you watch him yell at guys now, and then he finishes it with, "Ah, but you're all right." Yeah, and then he's like, Wait. or he'll come back like five minutes later and apologize. It's like, yeah, what the what, fuck? what's that all about? Yeah, I yeah. don't know. I think it's just old age is lightening him up a little bit. It's kind of interesting because now you get to, like you said, you're, now you get to be the bad cop to his good cop now, which who, yeah. who would have ever thought that was going to be the. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, let's uh, let's dig into this. Now, we apologize ahead of time because some of these topics you might have an opinion <coughs> on, and some of them are pretty stupid. All right. But they're random, they're suggestions from. Believe it or not, people who actually listen to the show. So, how many how many people have you guys got for listeners? Uh, three, four. <laughs> hey, Monica. Uh, yeah, we uh, like we don't really know. We don't have a way to track it. Right. Alex so, Riley does. Alex but he Riley. Has yeah, so we range anywhere between 
like, and this is just downloads. I don't know if it counts streams. We range anywhere between 50 and about 150. Hey, so how long have you guys been doing it for? Two months. Two months. Nice. So what, once a week? or once? We try. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we might double up because we know, like, for example, Christmas is coming. Right. Yeah. So, so we might But then you'll have something you can release. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Because that's the key. Like, I've said this for years, you know, and I've been doing podcasts, sports podcasts as well. The, the key is to have something new every week. Yeah, be and, consistent, like where you know, like, oh man, every every Tuesday these guys uh, right. podcast. Because then people, then you'll build that audience. Otherwise, if you're so random, they'll just be like, I don't know, I don't know when to find them. Exactly. You're the guest, man. Grab one. So Jesse, apparently we have to make a promo for our podcast, but I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to say. Oh come on, Nick. We just gotta talk about grapple talk. Where we talk about wrestling. It doesn't matter if it's the national stuff or the local stuff. That's true. I mean, regardless if it's WWE or our spotlight in the squared circle segment where we highlight local talent, we cover it all. Oh, we also gotta plug the social media. That's right, Facebook.com slash the grapple talk, and you can follow us on Twitter at the grapple talk. Man, that was a really good promo. That was. High five! Hi, yeah. This is Chris from Spot Monkey Media. Are you a professional? wrestler a promoter a business owner spot monkey media is graphic design for the wrestling professional we offer design services for t-shirts event posters eight by tens logos and even ring gear but if you're not in the wrestling business we work outside the ropes go to spotmonkeymedia.com for more information spot monkey media create your legacy Hey guys, this is AC Riley reminding you to check out The Riley Factor only on the Grapple Talk Network. Join me as I talk wrestling, interview wrestlers in my Spotlight and Squared Circle segment, and much, much more. What are you waiting for? Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the Grapple Talk Network today. And as always, support independent wrestling. Yes, I'll take my eggs over easy, and I'll take my podcast, Deach and Dash. That's right, the Deach and Dash podcast hosted by me, gorgeous Jordy Lee, available via the Grapple Talk Network. It's about to get weird. We're going to talk some wrestling, maybe, some life, probably, and I'm definitely going to ask whether you prefer ketchup or mustard. Catch us via the Grapple Talk Network and wherever iPods are available to you. iPods or podcasts? God, I'm the worst. Hello, wrestling fans. Cole Cabana coming to you live from the one-hour tease arena in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. The pro wrestling action has been great so far. As you can see, Joey really dominating the ring so far. There's a beautiful belly-to-back suplex. And, uh-oh. Looks like Joey's shirt has been ripped. What's up with that? You ripped my shirt. Let's go check an instant replay, see exactly what happened there. You can see Joey's shirt ripped from the collar, and that's not good when you're trying to wear your pro wrestling t-shirt. Man, you ripped my shirt. It's my only shirt. Joey. Hey, it looks like Ryan from One Hour Tees just threw Joey Ryan a brand new t-shirt. Thanks, pro wrestling tees. ProWrestlingTees.com, over 3,000 wrestling t-shirts designed and sold by pro wrestlers. Wrestlers such as Steve Austin, CM Punk, Macho Man, Mick Foley, DDP, Andre the Giant, Jake the Snake, Hexaw, Jim Duggan, Scott Hall, Ted DiBiase, Colt Cabana, Joey Ryan, Cliff Compton, and the entire Bullet Club. All stores owned by pro wrestlers. Support pro wrestling today and visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Hey everybody, this is RGG from the Regular Guy Gaming Podcast on the Grapple Talk Network. I think it's safe to say if you like wrestling, you also like games. So join me and my co-host Ragbag as we talk about old games, new games, games we love, games we hate, special guests, interviews, and of course, Ragbag's love for Luigi Mansion. That is all on Regular Guy Gaming. Check us out. Uh oh. Oh, it's going to be a boring one, I can already tell. Uh, announcing play by play. So, what does that mean? So, we're just going to fucking talk about announcing play by play, what makes a good announcer, what uh, is a bad announcer. Well, I will say it's, it's definitely a hard job. Uh, at the beginning of this year, I was doing a little play by play, I guess, announcing commentary. For Ring of Honor, for the for probably like the first two months, I basically did every show. I was doing commentary, and it's actually it's hard, and it, I really gained respect for the guys like uh, who Ian Riccoboni, who's like our I guess like the play by player, like the the straight man, so to speak. Right. Uh, it's you know you kind of have to be you have to be talking you know you have to be talking most of the time because you don't want a lot of dead time. You have to be able to you know get over certain things that you want to get over about maybe certain guys or what they're doing storyline wise so i mean it's it's definitely a, a job that uh 
I don't feel like I'm super great at. I, I, it was a cool experience, and I wouldn't mind doing more of it, but I definitely have a lot of respect and understand the, the work that goes into it, and especially when you, like, watch indie shows where they have commentary over it, you can you can really tell when there's some shitty commentary, you know what I mean? Or and that's where I come in. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think to that point, from all the years of watching some of the best do this, the best commentators, the best play-by-play guys, the best, you know people doing uh, announcing are, are the guys who can get that stuff over without taking away from the match that's going on in the ring and that's the balance so i'm talking about you, you know you're wrestling jay lethal but i have to put over the main event as well without taking away from what's happening in the ring that's a tough balance and the guys who are really good at it it's seamless i, I feel like Play-by-play announcing is just like refereeing and ring announcing. You only notice them when they fuck up. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know. And, I mean, a, a good example of what was really bad was WCW at the end. You know, you'd have guys like, you know, like Benoit and Jericho or, like, you know, Dean Malenko and, like, Rey Mysterio, and they're having, like, an awesome match. And, like, instead of talking about that, they'd be talking about, like, Hulk Hogan yeah, or NWO. the NWO and, you know, cut away from the match to them pulling in. And that was, like, a good example, like, why, you know, that that company died because instead of really letting the product really build as a whole all they concentrated on was the same shit every night every week till the point where it was like oh yeah it's basically the whole Hogan show with all these other guys who are just here for fodder and filler you yeah. know so it's real quick then job. Vic who's the best that you've ever witnessed uh, as far as a play by play guy who was a your play by play my personal favorite yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Jim Ross guy sure I'm a Jim Ross guy but uh if I have my druthers, if I'm going to listen to a team, it's going to be Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. Oh, yeah, that's the yeah. best, man. I well, thought for sure you would have said David Crockett. Stop yourself. <laughs> I mean, with Gorilla and Bobby, you're going, to get, you're going to get the comedy, but they're also going to get the point across, like what the, what's happening in the match to get that guy over right. and the angle it's tied to. Right. And they're going to do that all in about three and a half minutes yeah, because absolutely. it was all squashes back then. Right. To me... They were the epitome that they could fit it all in in that time, not take away from what you were watching, right? And still entertain you. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. All right, are we ready? Yeah, if you, you want. want. Right. Yeah, go ahead. All right, knock yourself out. Let's see what what cavalcade of crap will we pull out now? <laughs> um, Sorry about that one being super. Stupid. Oh, Facebook Live. Oh. Okay. No. Well, here I'll start. Why? Why <laughs> does nobody gives a shit? About your life. Has any have any of you seen one that was worth sitting? No, to me, I've never had. Now maybe there's some out there. All right, but I've never seen a Facebook live. I've never seen a Facebook live that doesn't take place with it's not somebody who's either driving and doing it at the same time or drunk or yes or drunk in front of their webcam at home and just saying shit that they probably shouldn't say. <laughs> well, so, well, I, I agree, and, and I, I know. You, you'll probably agree just knowing you and, and get, do, are people that self-absorbed nowadays that people you think that people care about three hour long diatribes on Facebook that's exactly why that Ken, exists Ken Cato's the worst man no, I, I haven't even seen one no, he's, <laughs> he's not who's he's the not. worst though? he's up there He's up there. Sounds like you but have a different pick in my world there are a top three <laughs> All right, okay. number one is our friend Maru Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff, but he's getting around. Okay. But the fucking kid gets drunk, <laughs> and then it's shoot on the world. All right. He almost got himself unbooked. What's his yeah. Facebook name? Uh, Isaac Duncan. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look up his stuff now. Number. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoy I enjoy watching bad Facebook lives sometimes. Okay. Like just to, I'm That's fair. Just to laugh at him and. Number two is Dark Child. Oh, oh man. Number two is Dark Child. Yeah, he's there's something wrong with him, man. There's are you, a couple are you things sure? wrong with that. I mean, he he writes stuff sometimes. I'll send him messages like, "Dave, you need to get a fucking grasp on reality, man." Like, you know, the worst part is he's like a, you know, we're all adults, but I mean, that guy's like forty-seven, forty-eight years old or whatever, and he's like fighting with people like high school children on there. You know? And then third is Kato. Yeah, it's Kato. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I, I would have to re- readjust my numbers. I think Dave's definitely worse. Dark Child's worse than Kato. He's always driving. And he's always mad about something. Yeah. Fucking smoke a doob and chill, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But hasn't that been the thing? I remember trying... And again, I claim to not be an expert on anything in in wrestling, but I used to tell that guy, 
after a match. I'm like, dude, you take this shit too seriously. Like, you know, you're working with a veteran. Let him lead you. He's like, ah, fuck that. He tried to hurt me. I'm like, how'd he do that? But he gave me a clothesline. It's part of the match, man. Yeah, like, like, stuff's going to hurt. Like, stuff is going to hurt. There's a difference between getting stuff a little snug and trying to hurt someone. That's a way, right. way big difference, you know? Right, and he was always ready to fight people. Like, oh, he was too, too stiff on that clothes. I'm like, dude. Relax, man. And the funny thing is, he doesn't. I don't really believe he can fight anybody. Like, oh, he's three hundred five and zero, man. I don't know if you heard that. Or not. <laughs> yeah, he's three hundred five and zero in cage fighting. Even though, like, most cage fighters don't even have, you know, a hundred fights in their career, let alone three hundred. I, I heard he's got more black belts than Sears. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in along those same lines, and and I know Armani shares the same sentiment. As much as you like watching bad Facebook Live. We, when we go on the road, try to find bad indie shows. Okay. And we look for it. Like, we look at flyers. So when we were in Cleveland, there were a bunch of shows, and some of them we disqualified because people looked like they were in too good a shape. Right. That's true. <laughs> we're like, nope, not that one. Nope, no, this is the one we're going right, to. Right, right. So. That's not bad. I enjoy bad wrestling as well. Then this was the show for you. Yeah, this <laughs> one was really bad we went to. Oh. Oh. Bullshit right here. Oh, great. Because you guys are going to think I planned this shit, and I didn't. I just right. pulled it right out of the yeah. hat. Come on. All right. just Will Jack Spade ever get credit for his wrestling ability? Um, I've said this... You know, I've said this to your face, and I, I know we're, it's not just because we're friends. I mean, you're, you get way more shit than you deserve. You really do. Absolutely. I, I think you're... You know, you, 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 you're... You know how to put a match together. You got a great mind for the business. You can bump really well. Uh, I, I enjoy I enjoyed wrestling with you and watching you work. I think you just get a lot of shit for no reason. And some of it was we've talked about the the early heat when you broke into the business. Oh yeah. And, and if you don't do exactly what you said you were going to do here when this came out, yeah, I'm gonna be real pissed at you right now. All right. So go ahead. I don't remember what I said, but you uh, said you will shit on me. Oh, I think you're the shits. And you will, <laughs> and you think, will shit on Maru at the I same think, time. I think you're the shits. I think you've always been the shits. Thank I think you. you're always gonna be the shits. I appreciate and, that. And uh, fuck Maru. How's that? There you go. It's about exactly what I need. All right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, me and you've worked before a couple of times. Twice, correct? right? Twice. We, yeah. We did the one at the what, the Bradford Beach. We did right? the Bradford Beach. Yep. Yeah, man. I believe both times we worked that we had pretty good matches, right? Yep. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I've always felt like you, you, you're better than what you're given credit for. That's for sure. The thing, the thing about wrestling you, uh, or working with you, I should say, that I remember uh, is two things. So one thing is, I'm always either overexcited with you because I always have to lighten up. Because okay. I always have you in a rest hold, and you always go light the fuck up. <laughs> I always have to do that. Second thing is, is uh, the full match we had for Armani at the Papa Luigi's. Yeah. We planned everything, and then we were outside or whatever, and I think it was before the match, I think you were smoking or something, and you were like, hey, how about we just throw this chain wrestling sequence in the beginning? Don't you want to show people you can actually do stuff? And I was like... Yeah, sure. We'll just do this pin sequence, and I'm just fucking fat. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, we'll do this thing where I'll pull your head down and fucking thing. I was like, oh, yeah, great. Do that. So, like, I'm in the ring, and I'm on top of my head trying to fucking roll over for you in a goddamn sunset flip. And just... What is it with you and Armani shows and sunset flips? It, you know what? And he worked this dude 47 times, and that was always the thing with the sunset flip. Every time you wanted me to do that sunset flip spot with long time, because oh. I work long time once a year, every year, forever, uh, is, oh, you can't do the fucking sunset flip over the rope? Me and fucking Caleb did the sunset flip. He caught me in a northern light suplex. <laughs> that? So what I liked, okay, so what I always liked about you is, because everybody's like, well, you know, he doesn't have a classic wrestler's body. Yeah, but you work, you, you work better than what your body dictates, right? right. It's not like you're tiny. Tiny love, let, let's right? be honest. I mean, look at look at WWE and like from like 2003 to like 2008. Like they had all these cookie cutter guys that came out that were all like you know jacked bodies with short haircuts and a clean shaved face. And Don't like, forget a giant back tattoo. Yeah, yeah, and some random tattoos and like every guy was the same. And honestly, wrestling sucked then. Mm-hmm. Like I, what I always liked about wrestling was I liked the different guys. I liked King Kong Bundy. I liked Hillbilly Jim. Dusty you know, Rhodes. I liked Dusty Rhodes. I liked the Big Boss Man. Like I and I, but I also like guys like Hercules or I like guys like Rey Mysterio. What, what's sure. always been great about wrestling is that you have these different body types and these different characters. 
And to me, that's what pro wrestling is. Pro wrestling isn't like, like I mean, even on the indie scene, like, dude, like, there's so many shows that I've been on with a bunch of dudes that are like, you got a first name and a last name, and you're like five foot eleven and like 190 pounds, and like you can do a bunch of flips and rolls. And I mean, shit, I wrestle like that sometimes too, but. Yeah, that would suck if the whole show was like that. You need guys that variety. have all these different body types, and that get you being larger than life doesn't just mean that you're some jacked muscular dude. You can be larger than life because you're a big ass dude. Like Vic the Stick here isn't your fucking average dude. When you see him, or if you see him at a wrestling show, you're like, oh, that motherfucker could probably kick some ass, you know? So sure, takes all body types. And I think we've seen like. So the, the WWE is a great example. They've loosened that cookie-cutter restriction now. you got guys like Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe who are legit badasses and, and right. can really go. Right. But, like, ten years ago, they probably never get a shot. So I'm glad that, that's, that that's, that's really gone away. And, and, you know, the other thing that used to always bother me is people would always say, well, I can't use Jack Spade because, you know, look at his body. But remember Porn Stash and his tag team partner for a while? Who was his tag team? I forget his name. They were... Uh, Rob, Robbie, well, Robbie's his legit name. I yeah. Don't... So anyway, he had the same body type, but he, he was getting a, booked. Or he could do a moonsault, so that made it okay. Oh, I right. could do a moonsault too. I might not get up after it. <laughs> so it used, to, it used to. It was always hypocritical because I'd be on a show, and you know Robbie would wrestle, and I'd be like, hey, you know, you guys should bring in Jackson. Well, I don't know. I like his body. I'm like, look at that guy. Right. Like, what's the same body? Like, right. what are you talking about? But. Uh, Again, I think that was just residual old heat. Well, I've always found around here, too, especially in Wisconsin, wrestling is very, like, clicky in the sense that, like, people use, like, their buddies, you know? Like, like for instance, like, you know, the like the BCW crew here in Milwaukee, and then, like, WPW up in Green Bay, you know, you, like, have Mickey McCoy, and then you have, like, Frank here, and, like, they don't like each other, so, like, they all butt heads. Yeah. There was, like, even some stupid thing a while back where, like, there's a group of guys calling themselves the Unbookables because Frank stopped booking them, so they, you know, took pictures Who and started doing hash. Uh, basically, just all the guys that like work in Green Bay, like oh, right. like uh, Joey Avalon okay. and like yeah. Colin Brooks and just just like basically. Jordy Lee was in. Yeah, there. yeah. So like everybody's real like, I, which I always thought was stupid, is like real clicky, and it's like, like why are you guys like? And I've always gotten on guys too about this. Is like. Why are you guys always so concerned about, like, you know, you're trying, you're always saying you want to get bookings, you want to get out there, you want to do more, but then when you get asked about a day, like, oh, I can't, I got WPW, it's like, no offense, dude, you've been wrestling there for, like, seven years, every month, like, what more are you going to get out of that, like, go out, but, you know, everybody's so concerned about, you know, like, well, these are my friends, so I got to be booked with my friends, and, well, we don't know Jack Spade, he's not my friend, so we can't book him, and I've always thought that was so stupid, you know? Right, and what it ends up doing, I think, is, for a while, too, this happens in waves, right? But you get to the point where every show almost looks the same. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, well, it's the same 12 guys. Like, all right, let's get some variety. How do right. you have? Yeah. Right. Like, like, for instance, like, if I were to run shows, like, I would be more likely to book Jack Spade on a show than, say, like, TC or Eddie. Because TC or Eddie, they're booked on every single show around here. Jack Spade isn't. You know what I mean? So right. for me, personally, if I was going to run shows, yeah, I mean, you're going to end up using a little bit of the same guys, but... You don't want your show to look like, oh, that could say BCW or MIAW or whatever the name is of the place that I run. And you wouldn't know unless you see the initials that are up there because it's the same guys on every show. Right. Absolutely. And that was going on for quite a while there. So. Yeah. But it seems like that's loosening up a little. Some of that, that heat from last year seems to be going away because now Joey's working more in Milwaukee again. And right. I think, I mean, I, I don't know how you, again, your opinion really matters on guys like that, but I think he's... I think he's really a phenomenal worker. Yeah, Joey's good stuff, definitely. definitely. He's one of my favorites to on the indie scene right now to watch. So I had a good time with him. It's pretty solid. You're the shits. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I think we have time for at least one. Though. I just wanted. Dude, to yeah, we're we're good. I just wanted to stay. Uh, stay consistent. consistent. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that about you. <laughs> this fucker's real stuck together. Well, just open it up. Okay, you ready for this? I can read it. Sure. Uh, without opening it up. Sure. This is bullshit. Okay. <laughs> How clutch was Lex Luger? Fucking oh. clutch. Uh, was I that really it. a question? Yeah, it's really you? a question. What does that mean? Like, because he could, he, he could hit with runners in scoring position? Like, what do you mean clutch? <laughs> <laughs> he could hit with runners. Somebody had to give us that one, man. That must be an older one that somebody legit gave us. Because I wouldn't use the word clutch 
Right. Uh, none of us would use the word clutch, so that had to come off the internet. Somewhere. He was he was pretty clutch to making that that Lexmobile get over right. Oh, the, the Lex Express. The Lex Express yeah. song that was that was a great song. That okay, pretty. so as I was growing up, when Lex broke into the the NWA, I was probably fifteen when he called him up from Florida and he joined the Horsemen. You know, as I got older, was I was he. I'm sorry, I'm not super familiar on his career. Was he in Florida? Was it Florida Championship Wrestling uh, with Eddie Graham? Yes, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that's, that's where is that where he started? That's where he started. Okay. And then Crockett brought him up um, after Brody kicked his ass. Yeah, in right. Cage. Really? You really down, have, down you have to look yeah. at that match. Really? Uh, Brody won't sell anything, and Lex just ends up climbing out of the cage in fear. Really? Because Lex really was probably good. super green, right? Yeah, super green. Yeah. And, but what what year is this roughly? Eighty six. Right. Like early eighty six. What what was it? Do you guys know the backstory to that? Was there was there heat, heat or something? He I think the heat was that Brody didn't want to do shit. Brody was kind of a piece of shit, wasn't he? I mean, that seems like <laughs> they the, tell me. I mean, I know you're not supposed to say that because he's dead or whatever. But I, all the stories I've ever heard, I kind of always thought like. Fuck that guy! Like, why didn't he? Like, I get it. Maybe he did. Like, maybe he was a draw or something. But he sounds like he so didn't he, want to do business with. He anybody. was a draw, but the the thing was, like, it kind of depended who he was working for as to the effort you were going to get out of him. Yeah, because I guess you know? he worked really well in world class with the, with the Ron for Eric's, Fritz. For yep. Fritz, like. He didn't because go he was tight business. with Gary Hart, and Gary Hart was the booker. Right, and maybe Fritz would have whooped his ass too. Hey, well, if not, he had three kids that were in the business. They, right. you know, work it out some way, I guess. How was how was uh, not to take it off subject a little bit, but yeah. it's Lex Luger. It's supposed fucking. to be about Lex, but how was how was Brody like with matches with Flair? Do you think he had respect for Flair and he worked differently? I'll or? tell you, I don't think it had so much to do with the like. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember seeing Brody with Flair outside of St. Louis. Okay. And everybody had such like a strong reverence for Mushnick. Okay. That they just kind of did their thing there because it was the big wrestling at the chase. Right. You know? But, um, like, I know that somebody started an outlaw in Texas. Okay. And because he was tight with Fritz, he took the booking. Uh-huh. But then just shit the bed in the main event to kill the house. Right. You know, and obviously he had trouble doing business in Puerto Rico, or Which otherwise his guts would have been on the floor. Yeah. Right, right. You know, so yeah, that's right. I fucking went just like that. <laughs> I would give no shits. That's cool. So I think from this conversation, we learned that Lex Luger wasn't clutch. Not yeah. how clutch was he? Uh, he was not clutch. He was clutch at selling. Well, well he wait a not. minute. No, Oof! He's right up there with, right up there with Shawn Michaels, huh? Well, yeah. first of all, anytime he would take, like, a head, you know, they'd run his head into the stairs, he would come up with the hand still up. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Like, all right, Lex, come on. And then uh, he was clutch uh, at killing Miss Elizabeth. Oh. oh, you know what's funny is I always, like, my wife's a huge Miss Elizabeth fan. I always grab my son and put him up in the rack and I'm always about to say, say hello to Elizabeth for me. Because I'm putting him in the rack. So I like it. I always get a good kick out of that. I got drunk in lacrosse and started trying to put strangers in the human torture rack. That's awesome. So here's the thing about Lex. So he had a great body, and then when he had his, his feud after the horseman dumped him, and he had his feud with Flair, I thought, hey, this Lex Luger could work. Now, I remember I was a teenager, and then I realized it's because Flair carried him. Right, right. right. So, you know, as you got older, you're like, oh, well, it's because of Flair, not because of Lex Luger. Well, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. You know, as a kid, your, your idea of what wrestling is is so different. I remember as a kid, uh, Hogan versus Zeus. And, you know, I remember, like, Zeus, you know, he, he came in, he really he kind of squashed Hogan a little bit. I remember thinking, like, dude... I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if Hogan's going to be able to beat this guy and being real concerned. And then I didn't watch it for years and years. And then when I started wrestling, I watched that match, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. this is horrible. Like, you believe this shit? Like, what? You want to go worse than that? Then WCW brings it back. Yeah, yeah. Why they, would you do that? It was yeah. the shits when it happened 10 years ago. Right. It's just funny, though, that you're when you... When you're not involved in the business, how you view stuff, and then you be, become part of the wrestling business, and you just look at something and be like, was I, was I retarded? Or? And then oh, it ruins the way you look at everything I, forever. I have yes, the same does. problem, because I used to be a big Brutus the Barber beefcake fan. Oh, okay. Because Did you're you a kid. Did you yeah. Of course I had a fucking shirt, Did you man, and I had the barber pull off. Were you strutting and cutting? No, I wasn't strutting and cutting, but... Like, you got a guy who goes on TV, puts people to sleep, he cuts their fucking hair, he wakes oh, them up, and then he mocks them with a mirror. Well, that was a sweet it's gimmick. Fucking awesome, right? Yeah, I love, I love Brutus, too. Uh, 
He took the bullwhip from Ron Bass and cut that shit up, cut his hat up, put it on. Uh, and then Ron Bass took the spur to him. Then you go back and you watch the shit, and it's like, what the fuck? They censored that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. He's pretty shitty, man. He's pretty bad. So let me let me tell you my favorite Lex Luger booking. Andy. Okay. Okay. No, seriously. Yeah, no. I and I really it. wish they would do this again in a, in a Fed, whether it's an indie Fed. So they had Lex Luger and Sting. This was before the NWO. Yeah. Were tag team champs, and Sting was a babyface and Luger was a heel. Yeah. But Luger never turned on him. So, like, they'd come to the ring, and Sting would be giving high fives, and Luger would be, and then Sting would scold them, like, hey, give him high, you know. Right, right. But it, they were teasing to, like, a turn, and it never happened. It was just, they were two friends, one guy was an asshole, and one guy was a baby face. <laughs> right. I'm like, that's kind of cool booking. I wish somebody would actually take that and run with it again. Was that the same storyline? Did he end up, like, ac- accidentally hitting Sting or something like that, or was that something later on down the road? No, I think you're exactly yeah. right. I think that's exactly that point. Was that that was a where there was a, yeah there was a uh, I think that's how and they then ended Sting up was Sting, the Sting was almost questioning like the story was he was almost questioning him right like, like right. are you doing this on purpose type of thing yeah, right but, but but then they never broke up and then it was going really well and then the NWO showed up and then they just put everybody right. in a black shirt and then it didn't fucking matter and it didn't like, dissolve itself because Sting ended up in doing the rack yeah. yeah well right. that they teased Sting turning heel there too they did before yeah. that whole game I, happened. I've said this before, and I don't want to get off track. The NWO ruined WCW. Absolutely. It was, when it was the three, when it was the Outsiders and Hogan, that was money, right? When it became 20 guys, they were, so the, the, the thing is they were going to do a brand split. Okay. They were going to have an NWO show and a WCW show. That's, Thunder was going to be one and Nitro was going to be the other. But what happened was the NWO buried every WCW guy so they couldn't do a brand split because who the fuck would watch Right. The the guys you've been burying. So then they had to split the NWO into a black and red. Oh, yeah, we had the black and red. You also had the... Remember then they had, like, the silver and black, and then they had the... The LWO, yeah. The Latino World Order. But they backed themselves in a corner because they no longer could make money on the non-NWO guys because they buried them. Yeah, they they killed it. I I remember that at the time. They just... Basically, every guy either... Did, did the job to him or joined him or did the job to him and then and joined him. I mean, the only, I think the only guy that maybe got a little bit of a rubber became a star out of that was DDP, yes. you know? Yes. But that that was the problem was you had, you, you had a, a storyline that ran for what, like four years or something? You had one guy that they put over in the four years and the rest of the guys were just all made out to be chumps. I'm going to say that Buff Bagwell joining the NWO Helped him. Helped elevate him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, maybe you got two guys that... Well, it helped that elevate him, but, but here's when I gave up on the NWO. When Scott Flash Norton... That's <laughs> what I was going to and, ask. And Stevie Ray and uh, Virgil were, do, were, were jogging out the WCW. I'm like, come on, Scott Norton? I was going to ask, if you have the choice to have Scott Norton on your team or against you, you're going to put him on your team. Right? Why Get would that man a t-shirt? Why, uh, why? The only thing I can think of is Scott Norton was close with Eric Bischoff because going back to the AWA, Scott Norton was getting a push when Bischoff had the book. Just garbage. Scott Norton has a head like a paint can. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean they were and they were paying guys. I mean they were paying. I remember seeing something at the time like Scott Norton. I think in '99 or something, his downside guarantee from WCW was eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Christ. That's a lot of money to come out once a week and stand in the ring because literally he didn't do shit his last couple of years <laughs> well, except for come out in an NWO shirt and his. He wore his hat backwards. His hat backwards. <laughs> I'll go one better. So Tough Tom told me a story once that he was still on the payroll for like two years. Okay. And he was making about 130, 140, which wasn't, but it was I mean, decent money. Yeah. But, That's like but, ten grand a month. But That's check this money. out. He would call on Saturday. He'd call this number, and he'd put in his employee code, and like, we have no uh, bookings for you this week. Call back next week. And he'd get a paycheck. And every once in a while, he said, like, three times a year, they'd be like, you are needed at Raw in Macon, Georgia, on Monday. So he worked three times in a year and pulled in 100 G. Yeah. Were they responsible for their own travel, or was that all prepared for him. I don't know, but shit, for three, yeah, for no, three I bookings? I get it, yeah. yeah. But still, that's I mean, that's. Money. I mean, I, I would think, because I know for WWE, those guys, they get their, basically, if they do the loop, they get flown in, and then they're responsible for their hotels, food, and rental cars, and they basically take that rental car to the loop, and then when it's done, then they get flown home, right. you know? And they, they don't have to pay for airfare, right? They pay for all they, the Yeah, they get their airfare paid for, but I mean, 
which I guess for in that case it was nice to not have to go every week where a lot of these guys for like WWE nowadays, they're going every week and they're spending this money. And if you're not wrestling, yeah, you're getting your downside guarantee, which is nice because it's probably decent. But when you're there every week and you're doing all this travel and you're not wrestling yeah. and then you realize you're only getting this this. Not that it's a pittance, right. but you know what I mean? Right. Getting this downside guarantee where all these other guys are working every week. Like, that sucks, man. That sucks to have to be traveling on the road and spending that money and not really making anything extra, you know? Sure, so. sure. But Tom loved it. He said he'd actually get mad if he was booked. It's like, God damn it, I gotta fly. I gotta leave. I gotta go into making. You know, WCW had them contract issues for a while because there's a Jim Cornette clip where they cover the year of 1990. Mm-hmm. And. He tells a story about how the Iron Sheik's contract rolled over because somebody mm-hmm. forgot to cancel it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like when it came to its end. Right. So they had an X amount of days to cancel it. They didn't cancel it. They paid him another like 150 grand for the year. Right. To just sit home. Because they forgot, basically, they forgot to fire him, right? Right. That's exactly yeah. what happened. That's crazy. That's exactly well, what that's happened. Well, that's like, uh, I remember a couple years back, you remember, was it Crime Time? There yep. was, there was, people were joking online with JTG, was that his name? Yep. Like, shit, man, like, I think he was getting paychecks for, like, a good three years, maybe more than that, like, since he had been on TV, and, I, and it kind of became a joke of, like, does WWE even realize, like, this guy's still under contract and they're still paying him, you know? Because I remember when he had finally gotten released, it was like, wait a minute, that guy was still under contract? He hasn't been on TV for four years, you know? And he was never heard yeah, from again. Yeah, never saw him again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, it looks like we've come to the end of a little bit over an hour. Silas Young, man, thank you. I hope yeah. I hope this was not too big of a pain in the ass. No, thing. this was actually the best podcast I've ever done, so it was a lot of fun. And he's done two. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was a pleasure, and again, I, I, it's been you know fun for us to to kind of know you almost since you started in this business and and get to work on shows with you and and get to hang out after shows from time to time and. Uh, it's it's been fun and it's been great and and I love what's happening for you in your life and I hope that just continues to grow. Absolutely, man. Thank so, you for having me. I mean, he he was here and we got to talk about Jay Lethal, but you know it's actually lethal, right? Krav Maga. Krav Maga. The, the martial art of Krav Maga. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you seen any Krav Maga? Uh, no. I mean, I'm familiar with what it is, but yeah, bring it in the Ring of Honor, man. Yeah, Isaac loves it. We are. Right. loves it. It's his favorite thing. So, <laughs> so for Jack Spade. Krav Maga. For Vic the Stick Ross, Hotshot Scott Williams, and the Ring of Honor TV champion, the last real man in professional wrestling, Silas Young. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.